Hi guys, this is Fiona from IELTS Exam Training Courses and this podcast is sponsored by the Members Academy. Today we're looking at the second half of a reading, well the second set of questions of a reading and we're focusing on matching statements. As we said yesterday, matching statements are different from matching headings um, because we're just looking for one mention of this thing inside the paragraph. And yesterday we looked at how we can use the structure of an academic reading to help us kind of guess where that kind of answer might might be. And so we talked about this experiment and of course whenever you've got an experiment you have somebody's theory or idea behind the experiment, then you talk about the experiment, then you talk about the results and then you talk about the conclusion. And knowing that in your kind of background reading will really help you quickly find things. So when people ask me how, you know, they ask me for quick tips about IELTS, well there's no quick tips for reading. You have to practice reading because the more you read, you'll see that all of these IELTS readings have very similar and predictable structures. And the questions that you are asked reflect these structures. So yesterday we went through paragraphs A, B and C and we saw how A um, was the the background to the the experiment and how the scientist called Milgram, how he explained um, that to the people who were doing the weird experiment. So that was paragraph A and the answer, the statement was the explanation that he gave. Then paragraph B talks about the identity of the pupil. So remember that he paid an actor to pretend that he was in pain and that he was getting the answers wrong. So again, this is the background to the reading and that paragraph was B, which matched the identity of the pupil. Then we came on to paragraph C, which talked about the way Milgram persuaded the teacher subjects to continue. So we started talking about what happened in the experiment, that they had to inflict this kind of electric shock treatment. And he, of course, had to uh, persuade them to carry on. So that came in paragraph C. So today we're going to look at the last three statements that we haven't already used. So let me just remind you of the three statements that we haven't yet used. Um, We haven't yet talked about the expected statistical outcome or the general aim of the study or um, a biological explanation of the teacher subject's behaviour. So you can already tell that these are kind of conclusions. So the biological explanation, it's some kind of why did the teachers behave in this way? Um, Then there's expected statistical outcome. You'll see how it comes, how they were surprised by the results because they expected something different. And then finally, the general aim of the study Um, Well, that could come right at the start or right at the end, but it certainly doesn't come in the middle because you usually talk about the aim at the start or possibly at the end. So this is going to help us today when we go through the last three statements and try and match them to the paragraphs. Notice, however, that there are two paragraphs where there is nothing mentioned um, in terms of the statements. So I'll talk you through that. So when we go to paragraph D, 
it says, starts off by saying, prior to carrying out the experiment, Milgram explained his idea to a group of 39 psychiatrists and asked them to predict the average percentage of people in an ordinary population who would be willing to administer the highest shock level of 450 volts. The overwhelming consensus was that virtually all the teacher subjects would refuse to obey the experimenter. So this talks about how he, well, all of the psychiatrists thought that the teachers would stop and when they started seeing that the pupil was in pain. It goes on to say the psychiatrists felt that most people would not go beyond 150 volts and they further anticipated that only 4% would go up to 300 volts. Furthermore, they thought that only a lunatic fringe, only absolute crazy people, lunatics, of about one in a thousand would give the highest shock of 450 volts. And the next paragraph says, what were the actual results? So in paragraph D, we're actually discussing the expected statistical outcome, which comes before the actual outcome. It may not always be like that, but you will see when you read the whole text that there is a kind of logic. It's kind of to interest the reader. That of course, they'll tell you what the psychiatrist thought before they'll tell you what the actual results were, because that kind of builds interest and keeps the reader interested. So as I mentioned, so that paragraph was the uh, expected statistical outcome because all of the language in that paragraph talked about um, what the psychiatrist thought the teachers would do. And then, as I said, it goes to paragraph E, which talks about the actual results. And then it moves on to paragraph F, which kind of tries to explain the results. Now, paragraph F gives one explanation and paragraph G gives another explanation. In paragraph F, it says one's first inclination, meaning the first thing you might think, might be to argue that there must be some sort of built in animal aggression instinct that was activated by the experiment and that Milgram's teachers were just following a genetic need to discharge this pent-up primal urge onto the pupil by administering the electrical shock. So all of this language is about this, it's very difficult language actually, but when you break it down, it's all about built-in animal instincts. That's, you know, what, what we're born with. Um, genetic need, again, what we're born with. And it goes on to say a modern hardcore sociobiologist might even go so far as to claim that this aggressive instinct, again, as mentioned before, evolved as an advantageous trait. <laughs> so this is incredibly difficult language, but basically it's saying that this kind of thing we've got inside us, which is kind of, you know, genetic, uh, animal aggression, actually evolved, um, you know, survival of the fittest, an advantageous trait. It gave us an advantage. 
and was of survival value to our ancestors in their struggle against the hardships of life on the plains and in the caves, ultimately finding its way into our genetic makeup as a remnant of our ancient animal ways. So this whole paragraph talks about how to explain why uh, the teachers were able to inflict this violence. And so when we look at the statements, um, it says um, a biological explanation of the teacher's behaviour. So a biological explanation is exactly that. It's in our biology, it's in our DNA, it's genetic, and that is the explanation for their behaviour. So after that paragraph, it then goes on to talk about another explanation, and that's um, a sociobiological, I think, explanation. No, hang on. That's the social environment, yes. So it's all about that we're influenced by our environment, but we don't need this paragraph. Um, and H also talks about the same thing, that we want to conform to society so we do what society tells us. That's a kind of socio sociological explanation, which we'll talk about later. So that's paragraph G and H. Now, the last paragraph then kind of concludes and it says, you know, we've got two completely different explanations for this behaviour, um, this ability to inflict pain. One of them is biological and one of them is that we just abandon our personal responsibility for the sake of an institutional authority figure. So that kind of just says, OK, the result of the experiment was actually there are two um, explanations. And now it goes on to say that there's a problem for biologists, psychologists and anthropologists because we have to sort out these two polar explanations and decide which one is more plausible, meaning which one is more realistic, which one can we actually believe is true. And it says this, in essence, is the problem of modern socio-biology socio to discover the degree to which hardwired genetic programming dictates or at least strongly biases the interaction of animals and humans with their environment, that is, their behaviour. Put another way, sociobiology is concerned with elucidating the biological basis of all behaviour. So this is a tricky one. It is basically telling us that that was the whole aim of the experiment. The aim of the experiment was, um, sorry, not of the experiment, but of, of sociobiological study in general, which is to decide what influences our behaviour. Is it nature? which is the title, or is it nurture, the way we're brought up? You know, nature or nurture, two key words in IELTS. Um, and the word sociobiology reflects that. Socio is nurture, our society, what we're brought up with, and biology is what's inside us. So, because that was the kind of aim of the study, when we go to the statements, it says the general aim of sociobiological study. And that is our answer. This last paragraph tells us what the general aim of 
sociobiological study is. It's concerned with, and this is the last line, elucidating the biological basis of all behaviour. Elucidating meaning kind of finding out, clarifying, making it clear. So that's it. We've done our six matching statements. What have we learnt? Well, this vocabulary here was really difficult. So I would say what we've learnt is uh, the need for vocabulary related to this kind of research topic. They often talk about nature and nurture and, you know, genetic uh, coding and how, why humans behave and animal behaviour, things like that is really common and a very important subject. So I would take time to read this through again, check every word. Um, it will be useful for you in different kinds of reading and listening. Um, even though you might never have to use it again in your life. doesn't matter. You, all you need to do is get a good score in IELTS and then you can forget about sociobiological studies. Um, the second thing we've learned from this is how the structure and knowledge of this kind of structure can really help us guess where the statements are. And then the third thing um, possibly is just how to work out matching statements anyway remember they're not headings that they're within they're just within a paragraph but it's not the essence of the whole paragraph so it's very different in that way from matching headings okay so thank you very much for sticking with me through that very difficult text it is now on the website so you can go and read it for yourself on ieltsetc.com um, and tomorrow I'm going to be focusing on the rest of the questions. There are three multiple choice questions and then there are four true, false, not given questions. So why don't you go and try them yourself and then tomorrow you can check back and listen to my explanations and see if you got them right. Well, you can check the answers anyway, but if there are any you're not sure about, then please do comment in the um in the comment section below the post if there's anything that you can't find the answer for. So thanks for all your hard work. Keep working hard. It will get easier, I promise. Bye for now. Bye.